0: But you have to decide. <laughs> hey, we'll talk about false teachers because that's what Peter has been doing. So we're still in Second Peter. will not be forever. Uh, there's only one more chapter, chapter 3. And Brother Chuck, Lord willing, will lead us through it uh, next week. And then we're going to press on. And doing what we mentioned to you, we would. We've heard from some of you. You've made wonderful requests for specific psalms. In fact, we've heard from so many, and um, we're not going to be able to accommodate all of the Psalms. Uh, Brother Chuck and I have decided we'll take about a month after Second Peter to uh, to do a few of the Psalms, and then we're going to pop right into Jeremiah. Uh, but because it's such a lengthy book, we might take a break here or there in Jeremiah and do a few more of the Psalms that you requested that we do. They're wonderful. Anyway, thank you for your response. and. That will be our procedure. Today we'll finish 2 Peter. The theme, uh, 2 Peter 2, that is. Uh, the theme is false teachers. And in order to um, uh, do this, I'm going to give you a quiz. And uh, uh, they hated it in the first hour, it reminded them they're back in school. They just left like normally kidding. Uh, almost everyone passed. And let's see if you do as well. I'll give you a few questions. Uh, they're only true-false, so you've got a 50% chance of getting it right, and then we'll have to see if your answer is substantiated by the scriptures. So let's begin. Uh, this is a true-false question. False teachers only threaten the church from the outside, true or false? Yay! Way to go! See, so we start a little easy, but it'll get. A, can you can you find anything in Second Peter chapter two that substantiates your answer? Okay, there you go. Uh, you see, it, it says in verse one, and you're correct. False prophets arose among the people. There will also be false teachers among you. Plenty of false stuff outside the church, uh, brother Chuck. Uh, gave me this article we were chatting on Friday, and he passed this on to me about an interesting opportunity I hope you're not interested in uh, at the University of Houston. Uh, during lunch hours, starting here pretty soon, you can call and sign up for a lunchtime class on the Kabbalah. Uh, the Kabbalah, if you're not uh, familiar, is Jewish mysticism. It's, it's occult stuff. For whatever reason, a number of well-known Hollywood personalities are quite interested in the Kabbalah. Not the least of which is Madonna. Madonna's really interested in the Kabbalah, so that must make it right. And uh, anyway, you can you can sign up. So this would be an example uh, of false teaching uh, outside of the church, uh, and that that's an issue. But that's not the one Peter is addressing here. He's addressing the very real possibility of false teaching right in the church among you. So you, uh, I think I mentioned briefly last week, have a big responsibility. You have to check it out and put it in check if you hear it. So if you hear even uh, of the seeds, if you're picking up the seeds of that which is not true. Discrepant from the Bible. You have to deal with it. How do you deal with it? Well, always, of course, lovingly, I uh, hope. Matthew 18 is a good paradigm. Go privately to the one you heard it from. See if you can set that person straight. If you can't, take someone with you. If that doesn't work, it has to go more officially to the leadership of the church where it has to be dealt with. Because even at a wonderful, as, a, at a wonderful place like this, uh, we don't want to be, um, lazy thinkers. Uh, listen, listen, listen to what you have to say. You don't have to have a critical spirit, but you ought to engage in critical thinking. It is what you're hearing right? Now, I'm not talking about uh, agreeing or disagreeing about certain matters of Christian liberty, uh, which the Lord allows us. That, that still could be the basis of a conversation. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the roots of heretical teaching. Uh, that, that's very serious. So So be careful about that. Okay, you got the right answer. Here's another one. Uh, Deception is one of the chief weapons of false teachers. True or false? That is true. Can you find something in chapter 2 that proves that? Use of deception. Verse 3. Say again. Yeah, two, two, and there you go. Two and three, even verse, even verse one. See, uh, see where it says, "Who will secretly introduce destructive heresies?" By the way, in the original language, the language that precedes English, Greek, uh, where it says, "Will secretly introduce," it actually means "bring in alongside." So here's what they do: they don't throw out truth, false teachers. Uh, what they're guilty of is a mingling of truth and error. So they bring in right alongside truth that which is untrue. And that way it makes it difficult for the listener to discern between the two. And, and sometimes I've heard from people, uh, if it's been appropriate, sometimes I've I've said, you know, I I, I, I wouldn't listen to that person. I, I don't think that person is going to help you, nourish your soul, you know. And sometimes they say, yeah, but that person quotes the Bible, Ah, and that person does. That's the deception. So the issue is not to quote the Bible. The issue is to quote the Bible correctly. Even Satan quotes the Bible, right? I mean, he started off in Genesis 3. God in Genesis 2 said to Adam and Eve, don't eat from that tree. That's what he said, Genesis 2. In Genesis 3, Satan said, hey, did God say you shouldn't eat from the tree or touch it? See what he did right away? He brought in... Truth along with error. It is true. God had a prohibition. It is not true that it was as stiff as Satan made it to be. God didn't care if you touched the tree. He just said, don't eat of the fruit. You see? And neither Adam nor Eve said, no, no, Satan, you misquoted Scripture. You see how subtle that is? Wow. So you want to be very, very careful. I don't know of a cult group that doesn't quote Scripture. Jim Jones quoted Scripture. No? No? David Koresh quoted scripture, right? So so you just want to quote scripture for sure, but you want to make sure it's in the context. And so I have to tell you, the false teacher has a great responsibility, will be judged, but the listener has a responsibility, no? You have to be kind of an educated consumer, check things out, ask questions, study, put the thinking cap on. I love the group of people at Berea, spoken of in Acts, says they were noble-minded because they listened respectfully to what their teachers had to say, but they checked out to see whether what they had to say is consistent with the scriptures. So that's not a critical spirit. A critical spirit is someone who's just always tearing people down. But critical thinking is a virtue. It just means you evaluate what you're hearing, that's all. Okay, so let me ask you another one. You're doing good? Uh, oh, this is a good one. This is a little harder. These false teachers, the one that Peter is speaking of, are in error but are saved nonetheless. True or false? Okay, I believe you are correct uh, because there's too much evidence, <laughs> indicators in this chapter that they're not redeemed. For instance, check out verse 1. See the phrase, even denying the master? However, we read this, who bought them. So based on that, some would say, no, though they are false teachers, they were saved, but no longer are. See, now they deny the master who once bought them. That means they lost their salvation. No, it does not mean that. (laughs) Here's the deal. Charlie, you want to say something? Yes. This is a good illustration. Uh, Judas showed all of the external indicators of being with the Lord, but he was not with the Lord. Folks, is there not a difference between professing Christ and possessing Christ? That's what this is talking about. These false teachers at one time demonstrated a connection to Christ for sure. They professed him. But they never possessed him. How do we know that? When you truly possess Christ, there's a change in your nature. But theirs did not change. Let me show you something else. Look at verse 22 of chapter 2. Could you please tell me the animals these false teachers are compared to? Dogs is one, and what else? Pigs. Your father ever call you a dog or a pig? Your heavenly father? No, I meant talking about biological. Sorry, sorry, I should have qualified. Sorry about that. I meant, I meant the, I meant the dad. None of us ever had the perfect dad. He doesn't refer to his kids as dogs or pigs. What does he call us? What animal? Lambs or sheep? He's the good shepherd, right? Yeah. See, it's different. Um, now, dogs, you say, yeah, but that's a term of affection. Yeah, but not in that culture. Today, it is. Today, dogs are the equivalent of our kids. When our kids were smaller in home, our three boys, when it was time for our dogs to go to bed on the couch on which my boys were sitting, I would tell my boys to get off the couch because your sisters are going to bed. (laughs) So it's a little nutso, a little crazy today. I understand. (laughs) But in those days, the dog was not high on the totem pole. They didn't domesticate him. They didn't have as pets. And the pig... So tell me what you know about pigs and Jews. You know, something wrong with this pig. So, so it was just not a, it's not a reference to God's children. And you see, the dog returns to its vomit. It's a metaphor. You know what that means? The dog got it out. There was some temporary cleansing, but no change in the dog's nature because the dog went right back to it. The pig, you know, came out of the slop for a spell, sort of got cleaned up on the outside. But no, ch- say again. Yeah, they and then they, <laughs> they made fake it out of it. <laughs> exactly. So, but but then the pig went right back to it. It's kind of a metaphor to show um, there was a fleeting experience with the things of Christ, but the fact that it did not persist is an indication that there was no internal change. So I do not think we're talking about people who once were saved and lost it. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yes. You are right. And this is what our sister said, and that is a good distinction. There's really a difference between false teaching and simply having well-intentioned, devoted followers of the Lord's who have different theological perspectives. And you are so right. This is only speaking of false teachers, and you'll see the characteristics which really separate them from well-intentioned others who simply have a different a different point of view on certain things. We're permitted different theological points of view and those we have to just let the Lord sort out. But these uh this chapter is a, a warning against those whose motives are greedy, uh sensual, uh who do not know the Lord, who don't know the things that they speak about, and whose desire is really to do harm in the body. So this is, a, for instance, I have a theology on baptism. <laughs> Uh, another theologian may have a different theology on the mode of baptism. That is not a false teacher. <laughs> we differ. Now, uh, uh, that's a far cry you'll see from what Peter is, and we're not warned ab- about those people. Those are brothers and sisters in the faith. We just have to enjoy the wonderful uh, variety of points of view in the Bible. For instance, I- I'll tell you another one. I have a point of view on the gift of tongues. Another one may have a different point of view. I'm not going to make that a test of fellowship. We just have to agree to differ on, on some things. That's that's not a false teacher. That's just someone had a different background than I did, or something like that. It's just like being in a normal family. But these people are evil and greedy and stand ready to be judged by God, as you'll see. So it's a a really, but that's a great, great, great distinction, uh, right there. For instance. False teachers do what they do for personal gain. True or false? That is true. Check out verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So that is not necessarily someone who has a different theological perspective. This is a motive. Not so much the message. The motive behind it is very, very impure. They're not interested in the gospel. They're interested in greed. They're not interested in ministry. They're interested in the money which can be derived from the ministry. So, this is a ways to kind of distinguish between the two. Yes, ma'am? Years ago, when I was a law school, I used to go to a psychic lady. Oh, yeah. And I was getting all these answers about my past and future and all that, and I was giving her my money at the end of each session. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At that moment, I got, I thought to Yeah, yeah. The end, she's a false prophet. Way to go. That's all he said to me. And he started to minister to me, and that was the beginning of my getting away from that type of lifestyle. And the, the glad you listened to him, Nancy. By the way, this lady right there is Nancy, and she is the sister of that guy right there, Michael who helps us every Sunday so graciously. And uh, Nancy is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and has relocated here to the Promised Land. Welcome <laughs> to Nancy! <laughs> <laughs> and she's a magnificent Italian cook, and I got the evidence right here. And I, uh, let me just go on record, I am not sharing. Okay? <laughs> Keep your hands off. Yeah, Charlie. Charlie. That may be right. I don't, I don't know. I can, I can see that being the case for sure. Speaking of those who might be more susceptible, uh, just to piggyback uh, on what Brother Charles said, uh, l- let me ask you this question. I'm skipping around on the, te- on the test. So far, you're doing good. Um, false teachers target certain people in particular. True or false? True. Um, check out verse 14. enticing unstable souls. See, unstable souls. Uh, Unstable in what sense? Well, it could be biblically unstable. That is to say, those who don't uh, uh, know much about the scriptures. That that makes a person easier prey. Someone who has a fleeting experience in the word of God. Uh, could be a a, a little more prone to be led astray, but also unstable emotionally. Let's face it, when you're hurt, you're desperate for some relief when you're in pain. And sometimes that could make, not always, that could make a person a little more susceptible to those making promises of relief that you sadly find out they've not been able to keep. So... um, If you are in this situation or come to be in this situation, please do not be ashamed, but just be guarded. (laughs) Just know that in your time of pain, uh, a measure of desperation could set in where you might be a little more susceptible at that time to hearing things that are maybe untrue or to giving your allegiance to someone who who doesn't have your best interests uh, at, at heart S- during times of instability so just, just be, I didn't say be ashamed of the instability I'm not saying that I'm just saying know yourself that's all and prepare for it in, in advance so false teachers pray they're predators and they pray on folks yes Sal yes Yeah. yeah yeah yes yes okay, so these dear ladies have asked quite the question, and I really dislike them for it <laughs> um <laughs> and they they've mentioned um a, a camp called Word Faith or Word of Faith camp. It's kind of an umbrella term uh, for for a number of people, and and they have some friends and even relatives who are I- involved. And uh, the question is, is that false teaching? Look, since I'm the only guy you're asking it of, uh, and since I I'm not subtle, uh, heck yeah, it's false teaching. Um, so so here's the deal. <clears throat> when you put your faith in the Word of God, that is a wonderful, commendable thing. So, so the, this the, ta- the the label "Word Faith," Word of Faith. Sure, faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the Word of God. But that's not what the Word Faith people are doing. The Word Faith people are saying, "What do you want? Put your faith in what you want." Think on it. Believe on it. Let me enter into agreement with you about it and you will have it. God never told you that. He did. And you gave yourself to it because you want it so bad. The promises of God are meant to be depended on. We get our hope from the Word of God. Sure. But that's confidence in what God has stated. Otherwise, it's faith in your faith. So word faith has taken a principle and they've made an idol out of it. And they've essentially said, if you believe hard enough, if you cast out negative confession and any doubts, your faith will be more powerful than God's will. You could actually obligate God to give you what you want, whether he chose to or not. It's idolatry. Yes, that's a false teaching. Now, I'll tell you what God has promised. He has promised to use all things for good. He's promised to use physical illness for good. He's promised us every spiritual blessing in the he- that, thats that originates in the heavenly places. Ephesians but He has not promised us you're going to get the job you're setting your mind on. He's not promised us your lottery ticket is the winning one. He's not promised us um, you're going to be healed of all physical ailments. Here, he has not. Could he specifically heal? Yes. Should we specifically pray that he would? Of course. But there our confidence is, in the, is placed in the goodness of God to do what he thinks is best. If you put your confidence in a preconceived outcome, which you are insisting on, you're not putting your confidence in the Father to do what's best. You're saying, I must have it this way. And then the word faith teachers essentially give you power principles by which you can twist God's arm to obligate him to do it. That's false teaching and those are the very ones Peter is speaking of. I shall prove it to you. Look, 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 look. If these guys don't really know what they're speaking about, why do people follow them? Look at verse 18. Uh, Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, verse 18. Sorry about that. (laughs) For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by what? Fleshly desires. What is the fleshly desire of a hurting person? A fleshly desire of a poor person is to have some money. A fleshly desire of a – by fleshly, it doesn't mean it's wrong. I'm talking about an earthly, material desire. A fleshly desire of an unemployed person is to have a job. A fleshly desire of – sometimes a single person is to have a life partner. A fleshly desire of uh, someone physically afflicted is to be healed. These are not wrong things. I'm just trying to tell you. It's the arrogant words of the false teacher that entices those in the midst of any fleshly um, need to listen. What, What are arrogant words? God told me you will be healed. Could he? Yes. But if the false teacher tells you that and it doesn't happen with the frequency with which these guys say that, they ought to be stoned in accordance with the scriptures. Be that The test of a false prophet in the Old Testament, and they claim to be prophets, the test is that they say something that doesn't come to be. And then Deuteronomy says, stone them. That's how serious it is. So they very uh, frivolously take a needy person, have them wait on this long line to get to see them, you know, they're wheeled up in a wheelchair, or I don't know what. You know, yes, God told me you were going to just believe it. And let me tell you something. If people were healed physically with the frequency with which these false teachers claim it, the Journal of the American Medical Association would be filled for years to come. Does God heal? Of course. Can He heal? Of course. Don't be hopeless. But I must tell you, his supernatural healing of an organic illness is the exception to the rule, not the rule. A miracle is not a rule. It's an exception to the rule. Otherwise, why do you call it a miracle? If people are being healed of all these diverse diseases with the frequency with which these word-faith people claim it, then it ceases to be a supernatural, sensational miracle. It's just something God does all the time. But he doesn't do it all the time. He didn't even do it all the time in apostolic times in the book of Acts. Furthermore, do you know that the apostles in the Bible who did tremendous acts of miracles never knew they would be doing it in advance? But the word faith, people say, come to your healing service, come get your miracle. How do you know God's going to do it? The apostles never knew that. Yeah, they're false teachers. And what do they do? (coughs) Tremendous damage to one's faith. It's an irony that the faith teachers do damage to faith. I'll tell you why. Let's say you buy into their teaching and you put your faith in a particular outcome and it doesn't come to pass. Please tell me what conclusion you have to come to. You don't have enough faith. You're on the outs with God. He doesn't love you. You see it? That's why Peter writes Second Peter. Those are the very people he writes about. Now, all kinds of names come into my mind and I'm being a good boy. And I don't... I, I don't need to. I don't need to specify names. However, I do want to tell you this. Well, I need to point out something. Hang on, Charlie. Just to your to your thought. Let me ask you uh, 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 a follow up question on this, and then and let me develop. I want to ask you this question. Uh, this is false or, or or true answer. False teachers know what they're talking about. True or false? True and false. <laughs> true in the sense that they're deliberately saying what they're saying. But do they really understand the issues they're addressing? They do not. Check out verse 12. Nice to see you, Gina. You want to you want to sit? Take a seat since I call everyone's attention to you. <laughs> Gina, I'm so sorry we started early. <laughs> it's my like school. We're taking a test and you're a student who's late, so we do this to you. See, I don't think I'm a false teacher, but I do think I'm an obnoxious one. (laughs) I'm certain about that. Okay, look, 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 look at verse 12. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge. So I want to mention something to you. No knowledge. The ministry is the only vocation I can think of. Uh, that is open to someone who has ill-equipped, to, who is ill-equipped to be in the ministry. The ministry. Church work seems to be open to anyone, regardless of whether they're equipped or qualified or not. Furthermore, it appears that you can have a fairly large, big following in the ministry, even though you don't know what you're talking about. Interesting. Why is that? Because it's not just the false teacher who's responsible. It's the followers. Why do they follow? Because the false teachers speak arrogant words, making their appeal to fleshly desires. Doggone it. If I have a desire to think that God is Santa Claus, I like you telling me that. If he's just Santa and I could get out of him what I want by doing certain things, if I could obligate God to give me what I want, and you tell me I could, I like that. I'm going to come. If you don't talk to me about my sin, if you don't talk to me about the cross, you just talk to me about goodies, I'm coming. So they speak to fleshly desires with arrogant words, but they don't know what they're talking about. So here's what I mean. Look, if I go home later today, and the air... We don't need air conditioning today. The heat... The heater thing is not working. And I need some help. There's a a friend of mine, Corey, right there. And this actually happened one time. (laughs) It was an air conditioner. Corey came out like in the middle of the night, as I recall. Um, uh, (laughs) There's a guy who has training. He has background. He has experience in heating, HVAC, I guess they call it, huh? Heating, ventilation, air conditioning, whatever it is. What if the guy down the block says, hey, I'll come over. I got, so do you know about, I got some duct tape. Yeah, I can. I'm not going to use, I don't want the services of someone to fix my air conditioner who doesn't have training. But I'll allow someone to minister to me about soulish, heavenly, eternal issues with no training. The Bible says, uh, be careful. In handling the word of God so that when you stand before God, talking to ministers in particular, but all of us, uh, you don't have a cause to be ashamed. Handling accurately the word of truth like a skilled craftsman. All of those words involve study, diligence, skillful handling. But you can have a big following of people today just because you're giving them a palatable message and you don't know what you're talking about. So, for instance, I'll tell you a number one thing false teachers do. They'll take things from the Bible and use it way out of context. When I was a kid growing up in New York, any New Yorkers? Any other? Yeah, okay. Hey. Oh, yeah, yeah. Alex is from New York. Hey. Wait. Alex. um I don't know if you're old enough to remember this guy. It was a guy named Reverend Ike. Remember And he did his thing. And he was extreme. And Marty too is from New York. He did his thing uh, and he was very effective at it. A dynamic personality and lively and persuasive. And the theme of his messages was this. Eat, drink, and be merry. Whoa. That is very cool. Here's a guy wearing a clerical collar, you know, Reverend Ike doing his thing. Uh uh Apparently using the Bible. That's in the Bible. Eat, drink, and be merry. This is a cool church. Man, oh man, I want to sign up. What's the problem with that? Do you know that passage? Eat, drink, and be merry. Is that the whole of it? Was, was it for tomorrow we die? So what we want to do is handle the text in context. What's the context? Well, the writer of the book in which it's found is a guy named Solomon. It's Ecclesiastes. What's the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes? Vanity of vanities. Everything in this reality which you seek as a means to fill the hole in your life is vain. Under the sun is the expression used. Everything under the sun is not going to fill you up. It's stuff above the sun where the Lord Jesus dwells that will satisfy your soul. Solomon is saying, listen to me, because I was a guy who gave himself to unbridled, eating, drinking, and merriment. But I found it, says he, to be, a grasping after wind a vanity of vanities you do this you try to get all the feel, you try to squeeze out of life every ounce of gratification and meaning have at it if you want but it's not the reality the reality is you're going to die and then you're suddenly thrust into eternity and have to make do with the God who is there so that's the context of it all but Reverend Ike just took a part of it didn't he? and had an enormous following. Is it Reverend Ike's fault? Oh, yeah. But is it also the responsibility of the listeners? Oh, yeah. Takes two to tangle. There's no such thing as a false teacher unless you have an unstable student who's following. So again, I'm not talking about someone who has a different theology. I'm talking to someone, <laughs> about someone, who is deliberately distorting the scriptures, unteachable, unaccount. By the way, Let me ask you this. False teachers are submissive to authority. True or false? False. Verse 10. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. One of the marks of a false teacher, not someone who has a different theological twist. We want to hear from one another, learn from one another. I'm talking about the ones who uh, submit to no one. Uh, these are ones who, when you try to hold them accountable, will leave the accountability group. There are notable examples of this. And I'm tempted. Uh, I don't need to. Uh, uh, a very well-known word faith person one time came up with the theology that um, the Trinity really means that there that God consists of nine persons. This was written in a very popular book. I'll bet you some of you have because you like what he has to say. He said, if God in each of the three persons of the Trinity is fully God, then each person of the Trinity is a Trinity. So that means God the Father is three, but so too is God the Son. So now you're up to six. And so too is God the Spirit. Nine. Three times three is nine. He was visited by some well-intentioned uh, senior um, believers, pastors, uh, not Baptist ones, um, godly, uh, charismatic pastors because uh, he had more, a closer connection to these good men who made an attempt not to rebuke him in any way, but to mentor him for his lack of biblical training. He said, yes, thank you. I will take my book off the shelves. And Benny Hinn never has. It's still on the shelves. Yeah, he's the one. Likeable, sensual. Sensual doesn't mean sexual always. Sensual means appealing to the senses instead of the thoughts. No training, unskilled, doesn't know what he's talking about, has the book Good Morning Holy Spirit still on the bookshelves. Go get it. Some of you follow him. Why? I like I like the way he speaks. So do you. He's very attractive and all the rest. Speaking arrogant, promising them freedom, it says in here, while they themselves are slaves. What does that mean? They're not free from their own devices, from their own greed, from their own sensuality, and they make themselves accountable to nobody. Try to hold them accountable. Very well-known person in our own town. People have attempted to mentor him and meet with him to help him because he has no theological training. He knows not of the matters of which he speaks, and he has refused all such attempts. Now, folks, I want to ask you... No, I don't need to add his name because you know who I'm talking about. Oh, it's not. Look, let me ask you this question. False teachers will only influence a few people. True or false? False. Check out verse 2. Many will follow their sensuality. Sensuality. A dynamic appeal to the senses. You can get a guy like Rod Parsley, Word Faith Movement, who can keep you spellbound for hours with movements and gyrations and emotion and drama and all the rest and say nothing. So there, I'm spilling the beans. Um, They don't know what they're talking about. And in their case, it's not just lack of training. It's, uh, it's, it's chosen ignorance. They don't want to know. Look, some of you, over I've been here a lot of years, and some of you, and thank God for you, have visited with me in the most gracious and loving way to point out something that maybe was said that could have been taken wrong or that was wrong. Oh, I can't tell you how helpful that is. Once is bad enough. I don't want to say it a second time, but I don't know unless you tell me. The false teachers pull rank. You can't talk to me. They're, they're, they submit to no one. But, but, but if they don't, they're, they're spoken of here as, uh, as mists. What are they referred to as here? As, as springs without water. That's what it is. Springs without water. You're thirsty. You go to a spiritual personage to satisfy your spiritual thirst. They promise you satisfaction of your soul, but they're springs without water. It's fluff, fluff. It's fluff. You're not equipped by them to deal with the throes of life. You're only equipped by them to think you could avoid the throes of life. If you think positively, you won't be depressed. You won't be anxious. You won't have loss. You won't get cancer. You can avoid the bumps in the road. False teaching. In this world, you will have tribulation. Don't worry. I've overcome the world. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. On and on and on. How come I don't hear these passages of Scripture? Well, I'll tell you why. I don't want to hear them. (laughs) I would rather have you tell me you could avoid all the bumps in the road through mind power. Mind power. But what if it's God's will for me to experience one of the bumps in the road? Why would a loving father want that? Admit it. We learn more through the bumps than we do through the smooth sailing. Admit it. Our dependence on Almighty God is enhanced when we're needy, not when we're self-sufficient. I don't need freedom from Christ. I need dependence on Christ. Cancer makes me dependent on Christ. Unemployment makes me dependent on Christ. Depression makes me dependent on Christ. Do I want any of these things? No. Do I need some of these things? Can God use some of these things as a ministry to me and those around me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One time, i got to close with this. One time, years and years and years ago, I was with a group called Jews for Jesus. And we used to do street work, a lot of street work. I'm on the streets of Chicago, and we rented a storefront. We invited people at night, come in off the streets, come for Bible study. Man, we'd get a cast of characters. <laughs> this is urban ministry, you know, middle of the streets. People would come in. Different ones of us would do Bible study. So one time at the end of a Bible study I was doing, a lady came up to me. We'd have some refreshments and stuff. She was talking. Uh, she said, Stuart, I heard you mention that your son has a kidney disease. Um, she said, you know, the healer, a healer is coming into town to such and such church. Church, uh, uh, I think she said Wednesday night, you need to bring him. I said, I can't thank you enough. Uh, and I meant it. Her heart was right. Uh, Thanks for listening. Thanks for praying. Thank you for that. And I don't know, however, that, that will be coming. Why not? You don't want to miss out on your opportunity. I said, now, hang on just a second. I don't think I could be comfortable with a God who in... Whose intentions to me kind intentions were so much tied into whether I show up to a meeting that if i don 't, I miss out on his goodness and blessing. I believe God is so kindly predisposed towards us that if it was His interest in healing my son, you and I could stay right here and we could ask him to do so when he and he would, and I 'm willing to pray that very thing right now. Furthermore, it could very well be the choice of a loving God uh, for my son to have this kidney deal. How could that be? God would never do that. What do you mean? Did you ever spank your kid? Did you ever discipline your kid? This could be the uh, the loving discipline of a father who knows that my kid uh, would maybe be too tempted to, to go astray, to be too enamored by the things of life, Maybe this condition will serve to obligate my kid to cry out to Almighty God, to be connected to him, to be bound to him. If that's the case, i got to tell you something. I'd rather have his kidneys fail than for him to go through life having failed um, to be united to to his God. I think about Michelle. Uh, I know Michelle, their kid. She's just a doll with this very serious condition. She's had it for years and years. You say, God, why? I don't know the answers. It's not that I know the answers. I just know, oh, God. Boom, Michelle would be healed right like that if that was best for her. What's best for her? That she'd be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The false teachers put an emphasis on the sensual physical well-being. God says, I could give you that, but I'd rather give you more. I'd rather give you me. I'd rather give you sheer and utter dependence on me. I'd rather give you something that enhances your relationship with me. I know you. You may not talk to me so much. This is an opportunity. Talk to me. Love me. I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. So so the false teachers only make an appeal to material fleshly well-being. That is not the essence of the Christian life. Why? Because everything material, doggone it, folks, everything you touch is gone. It has no lasting value. Not even you. Squeeze your skin. Not even this. You're getting a glorified body. So am I. This is not, even at its healthiest, is not going to work in eternity. Therefore, this doesn't have an eternal value. But God says, but I want to give you what's of eternal value, even if it means withholding from you that which is of temporal value. The false teachers only know that which is temporal. How do I know this? Look at their homes. By the way, there's no shame in being a prosperous Christian. I didn't say that. But there's a shame in prosperity theology. The theology that says the mark of God's blessing is that you're healthy and well. What about the world of Christians who are neither? Interesting to me, the way a number of these false teachers have come into their wealth is not through their godliness. It's through the unstable people who are providing for them. So you get these guys. I'll never forget. Um, Well, I don't have to mention any more names. But but a word faith, to enhance your faith, sow a seed. Into They don't know what they're talking There's no such concept as sowing a seed. There's the words in the Bible, but that's not what they mean. Sow a seed into my ministry. Don't need your money, but it'll help you. Send me $20, it'll, and you'll sow it. It'll hand, That's how they came into They didn't come into their money by believing. They came into their meaning by de- money by deceiving you. And you let them. I don't mean you. I, 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 it's deceptive. It's deceptive. Could I please tell you what? What money did the Lord Jesus take? Now, there's a biblical principle: from those whom you receive spiritually, return materially. It's not to buy them; it's to support them so that they could be undistracted and thus minister uh, 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 to you. But if someone is getting rich off of you, you, and you keep following them, they're responsible. But 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 but, but so are you. There's a lot of things I want to hear, but I need to hear biblical truth. Just because it's a Bible verse doesn't mean it's used properly. Could I just tell you this, and then we'll then we'll quit? The Old Testament gives way to the New Testament. Do you know that? I didn't say this. The Old Testament is not relevant. I'm just saying it moves. So it starts at the beginning and it moves to the end. No. Starts at Genesis and ends in Revelation. You agree with this, no? So that means it builds. It means in the Old Testament, God lays a foundation, and as you move, he builds this story, this story, this story, till the final story takes us right into the heavenlies. It's magnificent. I'll tell you what the false teachers do. They don't understand what's called progressive revelation. So if they find something anywhere in the Bible, they apply it to today. That it is in the Bible doesn't mean you do it today. For instance, I don't see one lady in this room whose head is covered. Oh, I'm sorry. A couple. <laughs> but the Bible says you cannot enter a worship service if you're a lady with head uncovered. You are in violation of Scripture. I can show you that verse. But you know that's not what it means. It's in a day when if a woman came into a worship experience with head uncovered or with cut hair, it would be a glaring advertisement of her flirtatiousness and rebelliousness. It means I do not submit to my husband. I don't submit to that pastor. I'm on the prowl. It's the equivalent of a lady walking down the aisle, let's say, some Sunday. She's wearing a skirt up here to her belly button. It's... It's cut down here. Everything's sticking out. I'm telling you, that's the equivalent. What do you do? (gasps) You're distracted. Even a person who's not a lascivious person, still you're distracted from the worship of God, and you're looking at her. That's what that custom did. So notice, the practice doesn't apply, but the principle does. The principle is be modest in your attire when you come. Some wear a tie if you're a guy. Some don't. That's fine. That's not what we're talking about. But to come in in Speedos is probably not a cool, you know what I'm saying? So (laughs) so, that's... That's kind of the equivalent. So what the false teachers do, since they have no skills, they don't know what they're talking about. They find anything in there. They lay it on unstable people. Unstable people says it must be right. It's from the Bible. You understand what I'm getting? This goes on and on and on. Okay. Now here's the problem with it all. They hurt God's children, and the Father doesn't like that. Therefore, they will be judged. It doesn't have to be by me. I don't have that authority. But you can see in Second Peter chapter two that their judgment awaits them. Um, hang on just a second. Verse one: Bringing swift destruction upon themselves. There will be a day when everyone gives a, an account to Almighty God. Surely teachers and preachers are have to give account. That's why it says, let not many of you be teachers. Why? You better take it seriously. These are the people for whom Jesus Christ suffered and died. Would you dare misrepresent him? Would you dare cause them to stumble? Yes, they're quite daring false teachers. They take it lightly. I don't need training. I don't need mentoring. I don't need an accountability. I just know what to tell them to get what I want, a big following and a big paycheck. Their destruction is swift and is coming upon them. you What would you do, a parent, a grandparent, if someone abused your child or took advantage? You'd be aroused to action, how much more a Heavenly Father will be aroused to uh, action. So anyway, it's amazing to me as I've been looking at the Bible um, how much it says about false teachers. Almost every one of the New Testament epistles is a warning against them. Almost every one. Because almost every church had them in the midst. Interesting. And God, um, he's very possessive. I don't know if you knew this. Not threatened, but possessive. He wants to fully possess those whom he redeemed. <laughs> and he doesn't want people stealing his redeemed ones away from him. So he writes a lot. Um, yeah, to the false teachers. But, you know, mostly he writes t- to, to us not to be led astray by the false teachers. So uh, uh, just one more thing, one more thing. Let's say there's someone you're interested in, a book, uh, uh, a service of this or that, if you care to. I, I know I speak for the other ministers here, we would count it a privilege. If you cared to, you're not obligated to. We don't have that authority over you. We just invite you. Maybe you want to check, well, Stuart, have you heard of such and such person? Maybe I could say yes or no. Maybe I could say, could I do a little research and get back with you? Uh, and, and that's that's kind of what we do. We, we, we know how to find out about someone. Paul did this. He, he wrote a letter. I'm sending you Timothy. He's a good one. <laughs> Because they didn't know who Timothy was. So maybe you don't know someone. You might want to ask us. Now, what if I say, stay away from this person, and you don't want to? Okay. You do what you want. We don't have authority. We would not exercise church discipline on you. Uh, We don't have that uh, terrible authority. But we'd like the privilege of uh, uh, protecting you, frankly. So, And this is our, pardon the expression, this is our business. We're supposed to know who's out there, who's saying this, who's writing this, what's the t- trend, what's the tendency. I'd count it a privilege. Any time, you would not bother me. You could shoot me an email, Stuart, what do you think of so-and-so? It's not what I think. <laughs> I can try to send you information or show you. And by the way, use the Internet. Be careful. Use a Google search. You put in someone's name, see what comes up. Read. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know he stood for this. I didn't. You know, so you could, you could do that your, yourself or you could ask us and we would do a, a little research for you. Okay. Forgive me if I, I got a little uh, gruff and huffy and coarse. Uh, it's a serious business. We don't want to lose those for whom Christ died. Now, we don't know. I don't mean salvation. I mean sanctification, maturity in Christ, um, they're springs without water. They can't offer you anything. They only could offer you stuff when there's smooth sailing. When there's no smooth sailing, they have nothing to tell you except your faith is deficient. <gasps> you tell this to an afflicted person? <gasps> okay. You, yeah, Wayne? Yeah yeah good <laughs> A wonderful question i can I'll do this in just two minutes because uh, uh the next class is coming. These false teachers are not ones who were saved and lost their salvation. These are ones who never were regenerated, and so the metaphor to animals as dogs and pigs, in that day, very unattractive animals. The dog was not a cutesy little domesticated pet. It was considered unclean, and surely you know about pigs and Jews. The dog vomits and gets some release, but goes back to it. The pig gets out of the slop, gets cleaned, but goes back to it, showing that they had a fleeting temporary experience, but they didn't have a change in nature. So too the false teachers. They look like they're redeemed just like you are but they go back to patterns and tendencies which are just like the dog and the pig. Because God's kids are never referred to as dogs and pigs, only as sheep. God bless you folks. See you next time. Maybe.